0: Good morning. good morning to our viewers online as well. Uh, I too want to highlight that, um, that class that's coming up in, in a couple of weeks. It's in your bulletin. It's called Learning to Minister Like Jesus. So we know that Jesus ministered in power, right? He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Um, he not only proclaimed the good news of the gospel... Um, was at hand, he demonstrated that good news, right? He prophesied, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, I mean, in general, he defeated the works of the enemy wherever he went. Then later, after Jesus ascended, right, and the Holy Spirit came, then the apostles ministered in that same power, and now we know that if we're in Christ, if we have his spirit dwelling within us, we can minister in power. Um, We want to be a church that is equipped to minister in the power of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Right, so ministering in power, both within the church, right, with one another, and outside the church, right, in your workplace, in the community, right, Walmart, doesn't matter, right? So starting um, Sunday, October 2nd, 1 p.m., that's two weeks from today, Um, We're going to start offering training called Learning to Minister Like Jesus. And we'll do it the first Sunday of the month um, in October, November, December, and then in February, March, and April. So three times this fall, three times in the spring. And if it goes well, we will continue doing it each fall and each spring. So each time we meet, we'll have a different focus. Um, Each one will sort of be like a standalone event meaning you don't have to go to all of them it's not like this continuing class kind of thing it's just like a standalone event so come to whichever ones work for your schedule but i'll tell you this uh, i i don't plan for us to record them and i can't promise when we will cover that topic again because um why because it won't just be teaching it'll be practicing right so So you kind of have to be there if you want to learn this stuff. So the idea is you you go to church, go get get some some lunch, come back at 1 p.m. We'll be up in the children's worship room. We'll start with a couple songs of worship, a teaching from myself or someone else. Uh, Then we'll spend the rest of the time practicing what we learned. Um, And we'll go until we're done, probably no later than than 4. Okay. So check that on the bulletin, put it on your calendar. Um, Again, you don't have to sign up for these, you can just show up, okay? Learning to minister like Jesus. All right, so on to our message. Uh, Last weekend, we launched a new series on the book of Ruth. If you missed that message, I encourage you to watch that online. We covered the first half of chapter one, and then today we're covering the second half of chapter one. I want to start by sharing an observation, though. Uh, It might seem unrelated, but you'll see in a bit how it relates to our story. So I saw a sign the other day uh, looking for a dog that was lost. It said, lost dog. Has three legs. He's blind in one eye. Missing his right ear. Tail's broken, accidentally neutered. Answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> of course, the joke is the disconnect between the, des- the, the description of the dog and his name, right? Um, we're still talking about Ruth and Naomi today. Naomi would have gotten this joke. Her name meant my pleasantness or my delight. But her life had become anything but those things. So in our text this morning, Naomi, or my pleasantness, uh, returned to her home in Bethlehem broken and defeated. Uh, More than that, she returned bitter. She believed that the Almighty had made her life very bitter for her. Nevertheless, she returned to her hometown Bethlehem um, with her foreign daughter-in-law Ruth. And when she returned, the town's women gathered around essentially to gawk at her. Verse 19 says this, So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. So when it says excited, it's not a happy excitement. The the Hebrew word here is whom. And it means to to make an uproar or greatly agitate or discomfort, um, which means to make someone uneasy or embarrassed. So it wasn't a pleasant homecoming for Naomi. She was already bitter, and now she had reason to be even more bitter. Uh, Verse 20 and 21 go on to say this. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So she said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Of course, she's referring to her husband and her two sons. When she left, they were alive and they were all a family together. They had each other. But now she's lost all of them. Um, I mean, think about it. It is hard enough to lose a spouse, right? But to lose not just one, but two children. Probably nothing challenges our trust and faith in God more than experiencing tremendous pain and loss and suffering. Essentially, Naomi says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because God has made my life very bitter. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you feel like that right now. It's a a raw but honest response to pain and suffering and loss. We learned this past summer in our Psalms sermon series that it is actually okay to be raw and ruthlessly honest before the Lord. You can take it. Um, It is good to start with raw honesty. But at the end of the day, as Christ followers, uh, we eventually need to speak back to our own pain and bitterness with gospel truth. So let me unpack that for a bit. Definitely pain and suffering and loss are real. um, But they can turn to bitterness When we stop standing on God's truth, that our pain and loss and suffering don't get the final word. Um, They can turn to bitterness When we stop being able to imagine that God might be able to use that pain, to transform that pain, and creatively bring blessings into our lives and through our lives, through that pain to other people in ways that we can't even imagine. Pain often blinds us to God's more creative blessings. There's an interesting thing thing here I want to point out. So in these two verses, verses 20 and 21, Naomi refers to God as the Almighty. So let's look at them again, but this time I've highlighted the phrase the Almighty for you. It says, don't call me Naomi, she responded, instead call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So the original Hebrew here Naomi uses is the word Shaddai. Uh, Maybe you remember that old Amy Grant song, El Shaddai. Um, This is that word, but without the L. So El Shaddai means God Almighty, but Naomi refers to God simply as Shaddai, the Almighty. It's interesting because... The L is almost never dropped from that divine title, El Shaddai. In removing the word L here, the emphasis is now shifted away from divine reverence and more towards an emphasis on just his power. Another place where this shows up in scripture, interestingly, is in Job. The emphasis there too is on God's great. Power, power that can't be resisted. Like, if he sends a disaster on anyone, that disaster can't be diverted. It's almost as if Naomi is just very coldly referring to God as like the power that produced her pain. Like she's saying, he did this to me, which is an interesting contrast With Ruth. If you remember in verse 17, which we covered last week, um, Ruth makes this commitment to Naomi. She says, Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So when she says the Lord, she's actually invoking the name Yahweh. Um, That's the word she used in the original Hebrew. So the contrast here is that Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabitess, took the holy name of God, Yahweh, on her lips. She puts her faith and trust in the one true God, while Naomi, like one of God's people, in her bitterness, refers to him simply as the Almighty, one commentary I read made an interesting point I'm comparing Naomi's spirit with that of the gossiping women who were judging her. While the women from Bethlehem were judging Naomi, Naomi was judging God. So there's an interesting irony here. Um, Naomi says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Basically, she's saying, I have nothing. But while Naomi is complaining about how God's taken everything away from her, how the Almighty has ruined her, who is standing like right beside her hearing all this? Ruth is. So how do you think Ruth felt like standing there hearing all of this? Like, How do you think the women from Bethlehem felt hearing this and kind of like awkwardly glancing over at this foreign girl who's standing there next to Naomi. Like, if you've read the story of Ruth before, you know that Naomi's pain and bitterness is making it impossible for her to even consider this possibility. That God might be using her loss and her pain her misery and her tears as a way to get Ruth to Bethlehem, right? And not just so God can bless Ruth and Naomi, but so Ruth could eventually become King David's great-grandmother and eventually take her place in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. We'll get to that later in the series. God has a plan that often goes beyond us, and he can use our pain, he can use our loss, he can use our suffering uh, to bring about a greater good in his kingdom and in this world. I want to explore this a bit, because this is an important concept. How God can use our pain and our sorrow, right? Sometimes we've been through pain, we've been through sorrow, we've been through loss, Um, frankly, it can feel like manure in our life, right? What we don't realize is that if we don't deny it, if we don't keep running away from it, if we eventually take time to really look at it, to talk to God about it, to process it, then there's a potential for us to discover a calling. There's potential for God to use that manure to fertilize the growth of something beautiful for God's kingdom. So let me explain. When we have been through something difficult, it could be financial ruin, it could be job loss, it could be the loss of a child, it could be divorce, cancer caring for a dying spouse or a dying parent dealing with an addiction maybe it's domestic abuse maybe it's child abuse maybe you were homeless maybe you are on the verge of being homeless maybe you were a caregiver and you just burned out maybe you were a single mom And you have a deep understanding of how difficult that is. Maybe you have a heart for children. And you just want to make sure that they know how awesome they are. And that they have a solid foundation in God's word. Maybe that's because you didn't have that growing up. Or maybe it's because you lost a child yourself. We often come away from pain and loss and suffering with a unique sensitivity to those who are going through similar circumstances. And when we encounter people who are struggling, like we did, there is something in us, something deep in us, that wants to do something about it. Do not ignore that. That is likely God. Or sometimes you see some kind of injustice or oppression or a problem in the world, right? And it puts a fire in your belly. And you just have to do something about it. I call this our Popeye moment. Some of you are too young to know who Popeye is. Uh, But it was a cartoon from when I was a kid. Popeye the Sailor. I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you know who Popeye is. Okay, most of you. Good, good. So Popeye the sailor, uh, he'd get into trouble um, usually because he was like being bullied by Bluto or uh, his girlfriend Olive Oil. I think weren't they boy were they married? I don't boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't know. It's a moot point now. <laughs> uh, she'd get into trouble, and he'd open a can of spinach. Uh, He'd eat it, and then he'd have, like, superhuman strength, like, to overcome whatever challenge was in front of him. But right before he'd eat the spinach, um, he'd get so fed up, and he would say, you know the phrase, that's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Remember that? I can't do it with his accent, but the same thing can happen with us. You see someone going through something, right? Whether it's a pain or a loss or a tragedy or some kind of challenge. Maybe it's something you went through yourself. Maybe it's just something like you feel like you've got to do something about it. And like Popeye, you say, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. If you let him, God will show you that your pain, your loss, your tragedy, has now given you a sensitivity that God can use to bring blessings to others. If you let him, God will help you to see those people in such a stark and disturbing way that you too will have a Popeye moment. I pray that when that happens, uh, when you experience that moment that you wouldn't turn away from it, you wouldn't ignore it, but instead you would fall on your knees before the Lord and you would say, I want to be a part of the solution, use me Lord, no matter the cost, use me to make a difference in the life of even just one person. That is a beautiful prayer that is born out of compassion. Um, It reflects the heart of God. And that manure of our own pain, God uses that to fertilize the growth of something beautiful in his kingdom. What I'm talking about is when you begin to discover your call to ministry. I'm not just talking about someone becoming a pastor. Um, Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling of some kind, some kind of ministry. You have a calling. Because he he doesn't just save us, he saves us to do something. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It might be a ministry outside the church. It might be a ministry within the church. It might be a ministry to one other person or a ministry to thousands. But when we have that, that holy moment of discontent, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more, And we step into doing something about it. In that moment, we find Jesus' promise fulfilled. What promise is that? Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So if you feel... Like this resonating with you, I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, to take Life Church 101 and 201. Uh, because in 201, we dive into these kinds of things, and then you meet with a pastor afterwards, and you're discussing your next steps, right, and your spiritual growth, which often can include discussions of these kinds of things. Like, what is your calling? To ministry, whatever that might look like. If you want to begin that conversation now, um, I would encourage you to reach out to a pastor. Set up a time to meet with them um, and then tell them I want to discuss this calling that I'm sensing and we would love to meet with you. But don't ignore it because God can do something beautiful through that. All right, back to Naomi. Uh, Naomi, in her bitterness, probably never considered the possibility that getting this Moabite girl to Bethlehem to a certain field owned by a certain man um, who just happened to be a family member, we'll get to that next week, um, might be the whole point of this drama that she found herself in. When we've experienced tremendous pain and loss um, that tends to eclipse everything else in our lives. Do you remember uh, the solar eclipse that happened back in 2017? Um, it was Monday, August 21st, to be exact. Could I don't even know this. Like, could you see that here in Fergus, that solar eclipse? No, some, yeah? Well, I was in Kansas City at the time. We definitely could see it. Um, I remember a lot of people took off work that day. Uh, my day off has always been Monday, so I was already off. Um, we, all, we bought these, like, special glasses so we could, like, see the solar eclipse. Um, it was amazing. Like, for a few minutes, like, day became night. I mean, it's like, almost creepy. Um, so I'm sure you understand, the, like, how this works. Uh, a solar eclipse... Is when the moon passes between the Earth and the Sun, right, covering the Sun. If it's a full, sooner full solar eclipse, it's covering like the whole thing. Now, here's a, this is interesting. Um, the Moon, comparatively speaking, is relatively small. The Moon's radius is only twenty-seven percent of the Earth's. Um, if the Earth were hollow, it would take about fifty moons to fill it. However, the earth is very small. I always find this like humbling, like this picture of the earth next to the sun. I'm like, dang. (laughs) Um, The earth is very small compared to the sun, right? It is so large uh, that it would take 1.3 million earths to fill it. So here's the question. Um, How can an object that is so much smaller than the earth essentially blot out an object that is a million over a million times larger than the Earth? The answer is this. The sun is 390 times farther away than the moon. So a smaller object that's closer to us can blot out a much larger object that's much farther away from us. Why am I telling you this? So let me use this as a comparison to help us understand what's happening to Naomi. Our pain and our suffering and our loss can be that moon, the moon of our own experiences, the moon of our own circumstances. But behind that moon is the gigantic sun of God's greater and wider and deeper work in the world, the son of his righteousness, the son of his goodness, his grace, and his love. The son of his kingdom, right? The future kingdom that is breaking into the darkness of this world. But all of that can seem so far away. And it can be eclipsed by our own pain, our loss, our tragedy. God knows this. Um, God knows that sometimes we can only see like 10 inches in front of our faces. We can all get so focused on the small moon of our own reality, especially when that reality is painful, that we can't see the sun of God's righteousness. So what did God do? How did he solve this problem? He looked upon the eclipse of our pain, our darkness, our blindness, and he said, I will simply have to get closer. And that's when Jesus came. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's not just with us, I mean, if you've given your life to Jesus, his spirit Right? The Holy Spirit now lives within you. You can't get any closer than that. The son of righteousness now dwells within us. Christ is no longer just with me. He is in me. I like this prayer from St. Patrick. It will come up on the screen there. Christ with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Jesus came to get between us and our pain. Um, Our sight should be dominated not by our pain and our suffering and our loss, but by his pain and his suffering and his loss. As he experienced the weight of the sin of all mankind and separation from his Father in heaven, And he died on the cross at Calvary. Then, of course, Jesus rose again from the dead three days later and now serves as the first of many, like him, who will be resurrected and who will live eternal life, right? All those who believe in his resurrection and who call on his name as their Lord and Savior. This is the amazing, amazing, amazing thing that he has done for us. So verse 22 says this. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the story started with a severe famine, right? The man taking his family out of the promised land and into this ungodly land, Moab, right? But when the remnants of that famine man's family, returns to the promised land, it's interesting, they arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. So why is that a big deal? It's this one little detail where God reveals so much about who he is. So Ruth and Naomi had just traveled over 50 miles through rugged, steep terrain. Um, it's a mountainous strip of land in modern-day Jordan. I found uh, there's, a, I'll put a picture up there of uh, yeah, these two ladies walking that trek. That's a modern, obviously a modern-day picture. But you can actually go on a trip now uh, and tour that stretch of land. I looked it up. Um, and so they were starting over as widows. They had no male family member to provide for them, but God would take care of them. Um, he brought them back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest was one of the first harvests of the year. Uh, it preceded the wheat harvest by one or two months. It just generally began in early April. Uh, barley was one of the most widely grown crops in Israel. It's a staple food, especially among the poor. So it's interesting God brought Ruth and Naomi back in time for one of the biggest harvests of the year. Not only were they present in time for the barley harvest, they were there at the beginning of it, right? Not in the middle, not towards the end, but at the very beginning. So can you see like the loving provision and an immaculate timing of God? Like God's timing Is always perfect. Someone someone planted that barley, someone nurtured it, someone tilled the ground, they planted the seed, they watered it, caused it to grow. Even when Naomi was thinking the Almighty was against her, the Almighty was preparing a blessing for her. Like simultaneously. God doesn't boast. He doesn't show off. He doesn't even defend himself to Naomi. He doesn't tell Naomi that there is a field of barley waiting for her. God simply provides. And not just a barley harvest to fill their bellies. He provides a field that will be significant in redeeming and restoring and transforming both Naomi and Ruth's lives. And we'll see next week that he provides so much more. Um, God has a plan, and he's working it out through Naomi and Ruth. They just haven't discovered it yet. Even when it seems like he's not, God is working behind the scenes. We need to remember that just because we don't see the plan of God in our lives doesn't mean he doesn't have one. They arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. Like that phrase should serve as a reminder of God's perfect timing, his perfect provision, his perfect plan. We see in this one phrase that even though the times were dark, even though it seemed like everything was hopeless, Hope was already there. Tremendous hope and blessings, and not just for them, but for all of mankind. But God had yet to reveal it. You ever try to watch something grow? Like, I mean, no matter how hard you try, like, you just don't see it growing. I mean, I've done this, like, you know, curious kid, I'm like, come on could see something, you know. I just never saw it. But you walk away, you come back a few days later, a few weeks later, and you see it's grown. Just like things grow slowly, naturally, unobserved to the human eye, um, in this case, barley, God is working behind the scenes in the areas of our lives of which we have no idea. As we'll see in the coming weeks, the barley harvest plays a huge role in the rest of the story. Um, It plays a huge role in bringing Ruth and Boaz together. We'll talk about him next week. Um, Ruth and Boaz give birth to a child. They eventually give birth to a child named Obed. Obed becomes the the grandfather of David, right? King David. It's interesting because Bethlehem eventually becomes the city of David. And after a thousand years, Joseph, who was the house of David, uh, along with Mary, his wife, came to Bethlehem, where Jesus, the son of David, would be born. If you remember, I told you last week that Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus... Who is the bread that came down from heaven, was then born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And all this was possible because God arranged the arrival of Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Like that was the seed of hope that was right there, oblivious to both of them. I want to leave you with this encouragement this morning. God is faithful. He is also sovereign, which means he is in control of everything. Right? Certainly he can do miracles out in the open for all to see. But he's also working in hidden ways, right? both to bless us and to bless others through us. Meaning, he saves us, he blesses us, not just for our own benefit, but so we can bring his kingdom to others who need blessing, who need saving. Let's pray. Lord, we are so much like Naomi. Sometimes All we can see is the pain and the loss in front of our face. The pain and the loss that's eclipsing the enormity of the son of righteousness and glory and majesty and love. Namely, you. And yet, Lord, you're still continuing to work in ways that are bringing about blessings in our lives. Ways in which we are totally oblivious. Lord, my prayer is that we would regularly see people at Life Church, people who may have been through a lot in their lives, discovering your call to turn their pain and loss and tragedy into a way to minister to others who are going through something similar. I pray for more of those holy moments of discontent our prayer to you is that's all I can stand I can't stand no more and through that prayer Lord that we would see your kingdom come to you be all glory honor and praise Lord Jesus it's in your name we pray amen